This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Sunday morning to you. I'm Jeff Meller alongside Brian Hanley. Had a fun little day at Guaranteed Rate Field yesterday as the White Sox win in an odd walk-off fashion. Not so good out in San Diego as the Padres put it on the Cubs yesterday. Can we uh, open the show with the montage of offensive highlights from the Chicago Cubs? I don't know. That would take about 20 minutes. Oh, hold on. Here we go. Yeah. Yes, it was sterling. Yeah, boy. You covered everything with that, too. Two infield hits off of you, Darvish. Friend turned foe. He was uh, dazzling last night for the Padres against the Cubs, and they have gone sideways. We've got lots of Jed Hoyer sound to share with the folks out there, Bri. He joined Waddle and Sylvie on Friday, had a lot of interesting things to say. Uh, one piece of news, not regarding the lack of offense from the Cubs yesterday, Justin Steele was placed on the injured list, but the good news is that the MRI seemed like it was fairly clean, and so it will be. I guess the hope is that it'll be a short aisle stint for yeah, the Cubs' best pitcher. Yeah, 15 days, they back, uh, backtracked it to Thursday, and he played catch. So they surmise that he will miss two starts. And, uh, you know, Drew Smiley yesterday, five, what, five and two-thirds, three three earned runs. But those two infield hits just aren't going to get it done, no matter mm. uh, who you're facing. And, and you, Darvish, seven innings, uh, 100, I think 117 pitches, the most since, I think, 2017 for him. Yeah, 115 he had. 115. Logan. And, and you know, if you want to revisit the U Darvish for Owen Cassie <laughs> trade, and that's really where you're at. And, and Owen Cassie is the 12th rated prospect in the Cubs organization. Oof. Not in baseball, in the Cubs organization currently with the Smokies. So, yeah, I mean, the salary dump uh, didn't look so good for the Cubs last night. And U Darvish, I, Chris Basio told me one time, you Darvish has six fastballs. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you talk about a toolbox. Hey. And, and yesterday he, thir- he threw 34% sinkers against the Cubs. It's one of those things where the pitch tracks, you wonder if it's how accurate it is. Yeah. Because someone like you Darvish has so many different ways of, you know, so many different pitches. You know, not just fastballs, but an array of different yeah. things he can throw. You, you wonder time and time again how accurate that uh, actually is. We just all going to buy what, we're, what they're selling without any questioning it. You know what we, we, we uh, don't have to question is a White Sox win yesterday. Or maybe we do, actually, because <laughs> the fashion in which they did so is the likes of which I have never seen before, and I have to imagine most folks never have. Len Casper with the final call yesterday here on ESPN 1000 of a White Sox walk-off winner. And I say walk-off. It was not so much a walk-off hit. Bases loaded. Winning run is Moncada at third base. And the ball hits the umpire, and the White Sox are going to win. And we hope Corey Blazer's all right. A wild pitch off the mask of the umpire. So a muted celebration. The Sox have won the ball game. All right. I don't want to laugh at the misfortune of one, but it was I couldn't help myself. You know, to to see the fastball just get Corey Blazer square in the face mask. I mean, the, ca- the catcher's you know in his in his squat, and he's looking like for something low, maybe low and away even. And that was ninety six miles an hour. I mean, you couldn't have 
placed it in the center of that mask any better than than it hit him square. And I mean, he went down like he was shot. And and, and I was watching on on TV, and Jason Benetti was he wasn't sure that the Sox won for a minute because as he said, I didn't see a signal. Well, because the umpire was down, he didn't see anything. He just saw you know he, he just went. It reminded me uh, at uh, Fraser Thomas, member of uh, WGN, mm-hmm. you know uh, Gar- Garfield Goose and all that, you know, sure. family classics. Way back when, yes, he had a heart attack in the hallway at WGN, and one of the sports guys apparently, when they got back in the office, down goes Fraser. Oh. They actually said down goes Fraser. So he said someone had to say it. I won't say who said it, but you know, sports guys it, really, you know, it, not a lot of empathy. But that umpire <laughs> Blazer. Uh, and so Jason didn't know if, I guess he was trying to think, if it hits the umpire, is it a dead ball? Yeah. No, it just, it, it was his wild pitch. Wild goes, pitch. That's as wild as it's going to get. I mean, it just it deflected, and the catcher didn't even go after the ball. He's just trying to help the umpire up because he was so stunned that the guy dropped like that. And, again, I don't want to laugh at uh, a, a person getting hurt, but if you watch baseball, watch lots of baseball like most folks out there who are listening do, to see... For me, the, the most amusing part of the whole situation was as uh, Cisnero, the Jose Cisnero, the Tigers pitcher who threw the wild pitch. And he just hit Jake Berger yes. before that to, so, to load the bases. He releases the pitch. And uh, to your points, the uh, Tigers catcher is set, set up down low. So clearly a miscommunication. Or just, I guess, Cisnero had no you know control. Right. And... So the catcher has n- no chance of catching a 96 mile per hour fastball, and the reason you cannot omit the or you cannot it's impossible to ignore that it was a 96 mile per hour fastball because if you watch the highlight as it's hitting the umpire in the face mask, the pitch track immediately registers it hits him in the face, and then you see a big circle right where the ump's face is, and he's about to go down yeah. 96 miles per hour square right over the umpire's face because he's basically getting the, the fastball is just blasting him right there. And as you said, he just falls to the ground, and then they pan away and give you the wide angle of watching Mankata jog in. Absolutely. Yeah. As the umpire is falling to the ground and hitting the grass. And you said there's no Benetti's like what's going on here? There's, yeah. there's no I, no, no I see no signal. Doesn't no. doesn't want to call a premature White Sox winner yeah. there. But it was uh, you know I, again. Hope, I'm hoping that Corey Blazer will be okay. I'm you know he well, had the mask on. I, I always said that if you're a baseball fan, one of the beauties of the game is you can go to the ballpark or you can tune into a game or listen on the radio, and you will see or hear something you've never seen before in your life. There's always that opportunity or chance because baseball is so kind of fickle that way, right? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that's the first time in the live ball era. First of all, the, that play itself, I've, I don't think I've ever seen. Nope. I mean, I've seen catchers who are ticked off the umpire okay. and just let the fastball go mm-hmm. and, and, you know, hits them in the chest or whatever. You're like, yeah, after they've sure, been, chest protector, yeah. they've been exchanging words for a few innings about a strike zone or whatever. But to see it hit square in the face and see the guy go down, I've never seen that before. But the entirety of the game, the whites, uh, the, the combined runs, three runs by the two teams, mm-hmm. not since in the live ball era and, and going back to 1920, that's the first game where all three runs have been uh, scored via pass ball or wild pitch. And no other runs right. in the entirety of the game. Yeah. Yes. I, and then to add to that, that's the first time the White Sox have won a game scoring multiple runs with no RBIs yeah. since... 
The Andy Hawkins game back in 1990. Remember, the White Sox were famously no hit by Andy Hawkins, but they went on to win that game four to nothing. I think, if memory serves, if I'm not mixed, I think Melito Perez took like a, he maybe had a one or a two hitter wow. up against Andy Hawkins. I always remember it because it was such an oddity of a yeah. game. Like Andy Hawkins for the Yankees pitches a no hitter and his team loses four to nothing. Not one nothing. No, not, four. Yeah, four to nothing. It That's was crazy. So just uh, the but White Sox L- winning L- weird Lucas fashion. Giolito had the, the comment of the season about yesterday's game after uh, that's how it all ended and the, and the entirety of the game was, you know, pass balls and wild pitches. That's AL Central baseball. <laughs> I mean, and he just said it, and, and he, you know, he couldn't sum it up any better than that. I love it. And the only thing that's missing is a baby at the end of it. That's AL, AL Central, Central Baseball, baseball baby. That's I mean, not like we're the most exciting division in baseball. You, got, you, know, you can't miss it out. No, that's AL Central Baseball because the Twins are the only team plus 500 at this point. Oh, it's absolutely comical. Uh, and I'm a, little, I'm a little sad, Bri, because I my... One uh, ongoing delight of the baseball season so far this year has been the fact that every time I get to go to, or at least for probably the last few weeks now, every time I get to go to the MLB standings page, uh, the AL East obviously is on the top. Mm-hmm. And then the AL Central is just below that, the way it's laid out on almost every, you know, sure. whatever site you visit. What I would have been amused by is that everybody in the AL East, top to bottom, their record has been better than everybody in the AL Central. So for most of, most part, from the majority of the season, it has been almost as if in the sequence. East rolls right into the yeah. Central in, yeah. in sequence. The only thing, obviously, that is disrupted, if you look at the games back, because the Minnesota Twins are atop the Central. But the East, the Rays are atop it, the Orioles are second, the Yankees are third, the Blue Jays are fourth, the Red Sox have been in last place in the ALEs for most most of the year. They're now 30 and 28. But the Twins have moved to the point where they're 31 and 28. Okay. Uh, so the Twins finally have a better record than somebody in the, the ALEs. The Red Sox could actually have would would have been leading the exactly. AL Central. And for the majority of the last couple of weeks that has been the case where everybody in the AL East has had a better record than the AL Central. That's AL Central no, baseball, baseball, baby. Not that Love the it. Cubs division is anything to write home about either. Oh, no, we'll get to those yeah. those guys in a second here. But um interesting that, though I that amuses me too that it's Giolito who says that because you wonder will you know how long is he in for AL Central baseball because it's very likely that he could be traded. And I was talking with Sylvia a little about this earlier in the week. I don't know, Bri. Is it fait accompli that he will be moved because now the White Sox are still six and a half games back in this brutal AL Central? At what is the threshold where they look at as the trade deadline approaches where they say, okay, we're, we're, we, they have for the for the most part indicated that they're unlikely to sign Giolito to a long term right, deal. Right, right. I mean that's part of your, part of the argument or conversation and and what what and technically you could re-sign him after the season after you trade him. that that doesn't happen here. It yeah. doesn't happen on let's, the south let's side. Be honest. The truth is if you really want to re-sign a guy, you want to get it done before you have all these other suitors that are going right. to make it more difficult because right. the reality is that you're going to pay through the nose that extra money, so it's it's in your best interest as an organization to get that deal done before they hit free agency. What's the threshold for the White Sox where you look at the games back and you say, boy, they should keep Giolito and try and make a push, or should they just... Because I don't know if they're well, going to get anything that's all that lucrative. Well, them. I was going to say, okay, you're going to get bodies in return, prospects, whatever. 
what's Lucas Giolito going to command in the offseason anyway? I mean, he's between injury and inconsistency, mm-hmm. he's not nearly what you thought he was going to be a few years ago. You know, you, you mentioned Lucas Giolito. You thought, okay, he's a core piece for this team in their window, championship window, which is pretty much shut at this point. But whatever he's going to command, or mm-hmm. I, I, how many suitors are going to be out there? He's a pitcher, and, and as long as he's healthy at the time, they'll they'll people you know teams that will want to to sign him. Is he a, a three or four on a on a contending team? Is he a four? I mean, right now, on a playoff team that's pretty you know built for the postseason, he's not a two. No, you're not no. a three, is he? No, he he looks at he's one point. He's a back of a rotation guy. Yeah, no, you're right. I think. You could, when he's going really well, you can make the argument, okay, he could be the third man yeah. in a playoff rotation, right? Like, he could take the ball in game three, and you'd probably feel okay about that for for some teams. But I think, yeah, like, in, in an ideal scenario, he'd probably line up in a in a strong contending baseball team as the fourth best pitcher. Yeah. And, and a lot of times you don't go with four pitchers in a, in a playoff, uh, certainly in, in the earlier rounds. So I, I just... So I don't know what you can get for him, but to your point, you're likely going to be selling Lucas Giolito for whatever you can get for him at the trade deadline. But again, will this front office, though, if they can, again, they're six and a half back right now, and they're winning games without driving in runs yesterday. Can they push it to where they're at a point where they're maybe three or four games back as the trade deadline approaches? And if that's the case, are they just better served? And I know that, you know, it's not probably... Not the best usage of your assets if you're running this team, but I also know how they operate, and they like to pretend sometimes that they're closer than they actually yes. are at times, right? And so if they're in the mix, is it better just to keep Giolito and try and make a push and not just settle for whatever B-level prospect is being offered for, again, a guy who at his best was an e- had an ERA around three and a half, and you know at his worst... Famously from the commercial, the worst pitcher in baseball. Yeah, and and when you start looking at this, okay, even if you're three and a half, four back as you approach the trade deadline, we just talked about how horrific the division is. You have to be realistic. Even if you were to win the division, that's the only way you're getting into the playoffs, by the way. You're not going to be contending for a wild card given what winning percentage pace you're on at this point, right? Mm-hmm. They haven't won a playoff series in forever. Mm. And can you envision them actually with this team and with the season the way it's gone to this point? Necessarily, they might win one series, but again, track record, not great. You can't say this team's built to win a World Series or even get close to contending for one. So you have to be realistic and objective if you're looking at your assets and what you can do, you know, whether you're maximizing a Lucas Giolito or not, what that looks like, I don't know, but I don't think it's going to wow anybody. But the point is, even whoever wins this division, I don't have them penciled in, you know, as, as a favorite to get to the World Series. Yes, unlikely to go deep into and make a deep playoff run if you're coming from the AL Central as the representative. He's Brian Hanley. I'm Jeff Meller. 312-332-3776 if you want to hop on with us. We're here till 11 o'clock. Plenty more baseball to talk about. We've got some Bears issues to address as well. We'll do all that coming up here in a little bit. But uh, up next, Cubs. Jed Hoyer joined Waddle and Sylvie. He had some thoughts on an array of things. We'll share those with you coming up next. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago.
Miller, Brian Hanley with you on this Sunday morning. Looks like it's going to be another nice day for all the Swifties out there, Bri. Did you take in any of the Taylor Swift concert the last uh, couple of days? Uh, no, but you know what? I, I've educated myself because mm-hmm. um, I was at the dog park in my neighborhood the other day, mm-hmm. and the usual suspects were there with their pets and talking about Taylor Swift. Okay. And, you know, being the older guy in the group, and I, again, it's not a commentary on Taylor Swift. I'm, I am I read a bunch of stuff about her and her, you know, the, just seeing it downtown. You see everyone going, coming to the concerts and everything. I said I couldn't name a song of hers if there was gun gun to my head. Mm-hmm. My life depended upon it. And the guy's sitting scrolling on his phone. He goes, shake it off. I mean, he started naming songs. Sure. But, I mean, I just, I, I'm just, I, I'm in awe of everything Swifty yes. and the selling out Soldier Field for three consecutive nights. Mm-hmm. And what the tickets were going for in the secondary market. And you couldn't get them. They, you know, she crashed Ticketmaster. Yes. That's the true when you look at it, like, wow, like the awe-inspiring thing of like, my God, I can't believe the prices that people are willing to pay just to get into the house and then to get good seats. You know, we're talking $20,000 for oh, some of the best seats in the and the, re- yeah, the secondary Yeah, there's a the guy on the phone at the dog park who's like, you know, I said, I don't think he can touch a ticket. And he was going through and I was looking at StubHub. I was like, oh, you're right. Um, front of the house, it was like $5,000. Back of the Soldier Field, it was 1500 And I know a bunch of people because it's an outdoor concert, mm-hmm. just showed up outside of Soldier Field, oh, yeah. took it in. I mean, we're not seeing the stage uh, effects and, and the, the production, but you can hear it fine. And, 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 you know, and, and said, okay, if I can't afford to go in, I'm going to live, live it out here and enjoy it that way. It, no, yeah, it's something, you know, it'll be, it'll be gone at the end of this weekend, but the whole tour is, um, I have to admit, it's something I've, I can't remember ever seeing the excitement surrounding a musical artist. Now, granted, listen, I was very young when Michael Jordan, uh, Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson was on the Thriller tour right. in the uh, in the mid '80s. Um, you know, there's certainly people who have who have long you know following fans who will go see them in lots of places. But Europe, I, yeah, there you go. But I do think <laughs> you might go see Bruce Springsteen in Europe. I think the next uh, next time you go back, you should go see Taylor Swift in Europe. That's what you should do, Bri. Um, but well, he said his daughter loves Taylor Swift, and and he's you know he's got to get her tickets or you know get her to show up at his show or be invited to her to, show. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, I mean, I just I saw on Twitter there was a debate, a guy similar to me saying, "I'm not discrediting her because you give her all the credit in the world. She's been what how many albums she's got? I think this is her tenth album. Yeah, so, and and like." Every sp- every and she's top- thirty three. Yes, every well. Here is the thing. Now she has been around. I think was it two thousand eight was six I six. Think, okay, yeah. two thousand six was her first album. So now she's had seventeen years of people getting to know her, people growing yeah. up with her, and now generations. All those- and here is the thing: those people have lived through a pandemic yep. like we have, and now you finally get a chance to go see her back out on tour. So, um, but there was a guy on Twitter uh, started the debate. Giving her credit for being Taylor Swift and all things Swifty and, mm-hmm. and the, the merchandise, you know, I'd, I'd like to have just the money from that, right? Yeah. But he said, will she have the staying power and will her music have the staying power of, say, the Rolling Stones? Because, you know, he was comparing and he said, I'm not even necessarily a big Stones fan, but mm-hmm. you can't dispute that their music lives on. You know, 50 sure. years later, you know, and, and it's still being played and people, mm-hmm. they still tour, even though Mick's pushing 80. And but will her music have that staying power? 
I th- she did 40 songs, so I mean, the songs are probably two and a half, three minutes each, right? All, all bangers all the time. Yeah, it's not like say, she's Brian. doing jam band stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's 40 songs. I think, you know, she's survived this long. Like, I don't know if she'll she'll want to be touring like the Stones. Well, I mean, would her music survive? Mm. Um, genera- yeah. you know, it's like a fair question. I think it's you know, 50 years. It's an impossible question for us to answer. Yeah. But I won't I, be around to, to get the answer. I, I do. You know, I, I think when you look at the fact that like all her songs are... All her top songs are like the most streamed on Spotify. Sure. Like she's got like twenty of the top, probably twenty five songs are the top streamed are her. So I think there's a chance that uh, she has a long run. Maybe not a fifty plus year run where her songs are at the top of the charts, or you know. But I think because so many people right now are growing up with it, yeah, yeah. you tend to remember what you grew up with when you were in high school, right? And yeah, I, I would say the sweet spot is probably somewhere sixteen to twenty one, twenty two. That, mm-hmm. that you know formidable years in many ways Absolutely. and i think that's the music you you come to embrace and it's part of your dna and and you know you always fall back to all right to something uh, a little less fun these days cubs baseball bry so jed hoyer joined waddle and sylvie on friday and so you've been i think fairly critical yes. of david ross the job that he's done over this season kind of just wondering out loud like where has been some of the actual criticism, right? So, Sylvie... Also critical of Jed. I don't know how... You know, Rick mm-hmm. Hahn's getting beat up. He's black and blue, rightfully so. And Jed seems to skate through the last couple of years here. So, Jed was asked uh, his assessment of David Ross's job this season. You know, I think I mentioned it before. Like, we're 4-11 we're and 11 in one-run games. You know, we haven't hit in the clutch. We haven't, you know, gotten out in, in the clutch. And I think that whenever you lose a, a ton of close games, which is what we've done all year... I think people want to, you know, want to point fingers at, at why you're losing those close games. People want explanations for, for why you are. And a lot of times, you know, in, in our game, that goes to the, to the manager. You know, I can say that you know, the players love him. I, I love working with him. You know, on, on every day he's the same guy. And I think part of that is, is what's going to get us out of this rut and, and get us back to, you know, get, get us back to, to playing well. Um, and, I, and I said this publicly before. You know, it's, it's amazing how, like, late in those games when, when the guy that you call on gets that guy out, you look really smart. When the guy that doesn't get the guy out, people point fingers. And, and a lot of that's on me. You know, I think we've had so much success here, um, you know, going out, signing, you know, relatively inexpensive relievers on one-year deals. Those guys come in and have a lot of success. And that hasn't happened this year. And a couple other guys that we were counting on in the bullpen um, have performed poorly or they've been, they've been injured. And I think that's left us kind of short down there. We're working really hard to, to fix that, and hopefully we will. But I think that's also been really hard, you know, just not having the same guys to call on than, than he expected. So, like I said, I love working with him. And uh, as we turn around that one-run game record and that close game record, I think people are going to look at him a lot differently. I wouldn't call it a, an, a vote of confidence per se, but it seemed like that was a guy who has no intentions of really evaluating David Ross at the end of the season as, as a potential, you know, uh, somebody who he will be parting ways with. Well, he's called him a rock star manager, and he just signed him to an extension, right? Mm-hmm. And, and their expected uh, win-loss record would be 29-28 because of that 4-11. and um, One-run yeah, record in one-run games. Yeah, which, you know, I'm sorry, you know, the record is what, the, what it is, and th- we talked about it last week. The, the month of May was a little bit more than a rut is, I think, David Ross described it was terrible. They have the worst ERA, bullpen ERA, in National League, if not baseball. Mm-hmm. Pushing five. Okay? Good luck. Good. Well, how are you working on that? I mean, what, what, what have you done appreciably? 
I mean, now Wesneski has to go into the rotation with yep. Steele going to the uh, IL. I, I just, I, I, you know, and, and you went on the cheap, and, and it finally blew up in your face. I mean, it's worked out for you the last few seasons, but you didn't invest any money in the bullpen. And you have a bunch of guys, and David Ross has to go to the same bunch of guys, and they give you the same results. And what's the definition of insanity? And then when the offense doesn't show up, you know, good luck. Yeah, and, and he said, you know, it, the the bullpen, the signings haven't worked out the way they had hoped. And we get it. Boxberger and Fulmer are the obvious names right. there where they thought they were investing in, you know, re- rehabilitation projects. And, again, it has worked out for them previously. But I don't know if there's anything to glean from the fact that you you tried to grab a couple of arms who – you know, especially Fulmer, who was previously a starter. So oftentimes when you shift a starter into the bullpen, you'll see their stuff play up. You thought, okay, well, if he becomes a reliever, maybe he can throw a little bit harder. He'll have his strikeout stuff, which has been good in the past as a starter. Maybe it'll become great in the bullpen. That hasn't played out. So I don't, I don't know if there's anything to glean, though, from the fact that, okay, it hasn't worked out. But there, now you're dealing with an issue where everything else on the surface – I. I it seems like the Cubs are coming along a little bit better, maybe a little bit quicker than anticipated. So for for the bullpen to really be your downfall, it's disappointing because I don't know if there's anything you can truly learn if you're not developing some high-powered arms you can call on from the minors as well. You know, that's the one thing is oftentimes, Bry, bullpen arms, they're fungible pieces. You don't know where they're going to come from. You know, no one had Mark Leiter Jr. as a guy who was going to be for the most part, you know, maybe shy of Elzelay, the the only, you know, the best arm in your pen. Nobody would have predicted that when the season began. Yeah, and look, it's tough to get a handle on this team, but I'm not the president of the club like Jed is. He's supposed to have a handle on this team. But when you can beat the Tampa team in a series and you can, uh, you know, sandwich uh, winning series against winning teams and then you can be embarrassed by the Reds, improved or not, Cincinnati, it just, they can't win on the road. And then they go out and start the first game in San Diego and, and win and, and have, you know do just enough to get the win. And that's great. But what do they really do well, necessarily? They don't have enough power. They don't hit in clutch situations. Um, their bullpen is among the worst. Um, their rotation can look great if Justin Steele's healthy and on his game. Mm-hmm. And, and it can look awful. And, you know, Kyle Hendricks is back. Great. I, I just, I don't know how close they are. Is Have they taken a step this year? Everyone thought they could at least progress a bit, right? Yes. I don't, it's too early to tell, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be a big step if it's a step at all. So when will the Cubs truly be contenders again? Jed was asked that. I'll let you hear what he had to say coming up next. Listen to the show in HD at 100.3 HD2 FM. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. I don't think it's a bloody Sunday. It's a nice Sunday out here in the city of Chicago as... Jeff Mellick, Ryan Hanley with you inside the old National Bank studio talking a little about baseball here. Got some Bears conversation coming your way as well. Maybe a little bit of NBA talk if we have a little bit of time. So Jed Hoyer joined Waddle and Sylvie on Friday. And I thought this was an interesting answer when he was asked directly by Sylvie 
All right, Jed. When do you believe the Cubs will be true contenders? Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna answer that directly. I'll just say like I'm really excited about what we're seeing in the minors right now. Uh, the pitching development has been outstanding. I think you know certainly since I've been here, we have the most uh, minor league pitching talent that that we've had, and the position players are doing well. And I, I think you know that, that's why you know in this job, like certainly the what matters is what happens in the ballpark I'm looking at right now. That's all that matters. But like all the things that happen behind the scenes are what lead to you know having a having a great team for a long time and i feel i feel incredibly bullish on all of those things and and i understand that that perspective you have on the flip deals because you're right like you know you look at a guy like a ben brown from last year and everyone's throwing terrific and in, in you know iowa now after being great in tennessee and people are excited and, and and we have him because we made a hard decision but you're right like eventually you, you want to be on the other side of that transaction you want to be you want to be, you know, being aggressive at the deadline. And, and believe me, you know, there's nothing I want more than to be on the other side of that, of that trade. Uh, I look forward to that. Um, and we're working as hard as we can to get there as quickly as possible. And part of the buildup to that question before, you know, the direct ask of when will you be contenders again was, hey, you know, you guys are flipping, you know, these veterans who are pitching well for you at the deadline are hitting well for you and you're acquiring these prospects. But when will you be on the other side of that. And that's what led Jed to explain, you know, him being bullish on some of the players in their minor leagues. And we were dissecting this a little bit. Why, why, why is he afraid to put a timeline on it, Bri? No, I think I mentioned it before. Like we're, Oops, sorry. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna answer that directly. I'm just not going to answer it directly. Well, I mean that, that, that he's not a dumb guy. There's yes. no GM in the world is going to set his own clock mm-hmm. and tell you to, to start ticking and check back. If I say two years, check back with me. And if it's not done or not even close, I got to go. And if I say two years, all of a sudden next year is you better see some huge strides heavily scrutinized and, and also under the microscope. And also you're, you know, the game is you never want to tell your fan base that this year it's, you're not truly a believer as the president of baseball operations. Well, he's the same guy who last year said, don't call it a rebuild. I mean, okay, tell me what to call it then, because it sure smells and looks like a rebuild, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the Sun-Times ran their weekly poll, and this week they asked the same question both sides of town. Who's the prime culprit for the Cubs in their last place start? And your choices were David Ross, Chad Hoyer, the Ricketts family, or the players. Uh, Tom Ricketts not doing so well in the popularity uh, contest, 42%. Um, Jed checks in at 20.7%. The players actually blame 21.5%, okay? And David Ross, whatever in-game flaws he has, 15.8%. And when you look on the south side of town, the, you know, who's the prime uh, culprit for mm-hmm. the uh, White Sox fourth, fourth place start, and obviously the, the horrific start of the season, uh, Pedro checks in at 2.5% because no one really knows what you have in the rookie manager. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf uh, leading the pack at 51.1%. And here comes uh, Kenny and Rick, 28.7%. Because last year, they obviously weren't the team we expected them to be. And this year in the offseason, we we're told that once they get healthy, and obviously they have a new manager and new attitude and things are going to be different. Mm-hmm. So... Everyone's tired of listening to Rick, and he spoke again this week and said similar things that he said in the past. So we're not there yet, but we're getting better. And 
And yet, the, no need to make any decisions on Memorial Day. They can wait until they get closer to the trade deadline. Hey, at least they're 500 at home because they couldn't win at home last year. They still can't be winning teams <laughs> on a least. consistent basis. 500 at home. Yeah, their their run differential is minus 51, so it's down from whatever was minus 60 some. So it looks better, but if you go to Fangraphs and and look at playoff possibilities, if you go to the MLB standings. They're they're on a treadmill, all right. I mean, they're they're not going anywhere. Is even though the eye test might be better, they're they're same place basically now that they were four or five weeks ago in terms of being a possible playoff team. Yeah, not great, not great, Bob. Um, all right, Bright. I'm curious just because you brought it up and I, I I hadn't seen those polls, but in the the way they laid it out, did they say Jed Hoyer and then or was it front office? No, President Jed Hoyer. And then and they put Rick and yeah, Penny it's, together. It's, guard pants. It, it's Rick it and is, Kenny. It is still so amusing to me that you know. Listen, we know who Carter Hawkins is, right? Like yeah. you, you could put Jed and Carter on there if you wanted to, but it is the buck stops with Jed. Yep. we all know that. And, and it's, with the Bulls, it's AK. Okay, we know Mark Eversley has a title. Yes. Is anyone blaming him? I mean, he he's a guy who negotiates contracts and calls agents. Apparently, right? I yeah. mean, but it's been Rick and Kenny and Jerry forever. And now Jerry gets the lion's share of the uh, criticism, and, and, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to discount that. And yet Kenny and Rick are still Kenny and Rick. There's, mm-hmm. they're, they're, and they, they always say we do things in collaboration. You know, they, they don't run away from that fact that when they make big decisions, there's mm-hmm. at least two guys, if not three guys, in the room. 312-332-3776. That's how Mike on the South Shore got on. What's up, Mikey? How you doing, man? How you guys doing, man? How you doing this Sunday morning? Doing well. Doing well, Mike. Uh, um, Like I was saying, look, with the Cubs, I I kind of expect them not to be that good. Um, I'm just a realist when it comes to a fan, as a fan. Do I want my team to win? Yes. But at the same time, look, like you said, he said it's not a rebuild. Oh, come on. Come on, cut it out. Knock it off. It's a rebuild, dude. Like, let's just stop it. (laughs) You're in a rebuild. Just admit it and, and move on. But I expected that. With the White Sox, I just had more expectations on what they were building when they built the farm system back up. They made these trades, including that trade with the Cubs. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, I have not, and I mean this, I have not been to a Sox game or watched a Sox game on television Ooh. for the past six and a half years. Whoa. Because I, I just got, I'm sick of the same conversation. I love them, but I have an expectation of once you get, like, prime example, like you said, Oh, let's say they get them healthy. We'll be all right. No, no, you're not. You need to get over the hump. You got to get over the hump in baseball. When you look at teams that built the farm system, which I tell people all the time, building a farm system in baseball is hard as you guys know. It's hard. You got to get the right pieces. Once you build your farm system and then you got the pieces in place, I feel, okay, Sox, organizational, organizationally, break the bank. Get yourself over the hump. This is what these baseball teams do. Look at the Padres. Look at the Dodgers. The Dodgers got their farm system. It's like levels. Okay, we're going to miss these guys, but we got these three other guys that can come up and replace them. Why? Because they found a way to get over the hump. And that's me as a fan. I get so frustrated with the Sox. It drives me nuts. Every freaking time I turn around, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to a game, watch them. Thanks to you guys and the highlights, I keep track of it. And like you said, the eye test, they're getting better. But as a Sox fan, I'm like, yeah, they're getting better. But can they consistently beat 
the Tampa Bay in a, in a sure. playoff series right now, can they beat a Tampa Bay Devil Rays? Can they beat a New York Yankees? In a playoff series, do I have a confidence in my Sox if they make the playoffs and the damn division stinks? Yep. On the hottest <laughs> That's line. AL Central Baseball, baby. baby. <laughs> no. You, so maybe, it's, maybe you guys can help me be more encouraged, but I, I, as a Sox fan, it gets so damn frustrating that we keep having this conversation. I, I get so sick of it. I hear you, Mike. No, thanks for the call. We No, it, it's fair, right? Like, you had the easy part, or the... Once you made the decision that you were going to make the Chris Sale trade, the Jose Quintana trade, um, when you were when you made the decision that you were going to move those players because they were on team friendly deals, it was that was those were the easier moves to make because you knew lots of teams around baseball would be interested sure. in, in acquiring them. So you just had to identify what high level prospects do we want to bring in here. The hard part, or the the harder to swallow part, if you're a, te- a person that owns a team is then reinforcing those promising young players with some additional resources that are going to cost more money, right? That might ha- might actually tax you with a $100 million deal every now and then if you want to truly be a contender. And yeah, I think that I think it's a fair point that Mike brings up. It is frustrating for Sox fans. Bro. Yeah, and and after the break, we can go over some of the projections because even though the eye test says they're playing better baseball, that's AL Central Baseball, baby. Um, we can go over what this actually has meant in the last few weeks and how close, how much closer are they, in fact, to being a playoff team. We'll do that next. He's Brian Hanley. I'm Jeff Miller. This is ESPN 1000. Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. You know what? It's been erratic, obviously. Uh, we... I believe we can take some solace in the fact that we are certainly playing better. May was better than April, but then again, it's tough to get much worse than that April. Uh, we are not obviously hitting on all cylinders or at the point where we're playing at a level that we're capable of playing as a, as a group. Uh, it's good that we are you know, getting healthier here, but the fact of the matter is is that uh, the performance over the coming weeks needs to continue to trend upwards regardless of whether we're five, six, seven back, whatever the number is on a given day. Uh, we certainly had some stretches. We were winning series over the course of the last month that was, uh, uh, again, had our performances had trending in the right direction, but we, we still have a lot of work to do, and, and we know that. We're, we're, we're not playing at the level we're capable of just yet. White Sox general manager Rick Hahn back on Memorial Day. The White Sox have won two in a row against the Detroit Tigers. They won a series. They've locked that up. They go for the sweep today right here on ESPN 1000. Michael Kopech will be on the mound against Matthew Boyd. The pregame coverage will start at 1230 with a 110 first pitch. And um, yeah, there you go. There's Rick Hahn, Brian. Rick Hahn, he went on to say, you know, we haven't rinsed off all the basically parenthetically bad baseball that uh, he called April unbearable. And Sox fans would have a few other words, I would imagine, for it. 7-21. and 21. Yeah. Their, their first 28 games. So, yeah. So, it's it. you can watch games now. They're more entertaining. They're not uh, as horrific as the start of the season. But that said, mm. they're sitting there at 25 and 35. And fan graphs on their projected playoff possibility and odds. We said earlier in the show, it's not, not any great insight. They'd have to win the division to be a playoff team, right? So what are the chances of the White Sox playing better baseball actually winning this division, even though the Twins are sitting there three games above 500, 31, 28? 
Well, Fangraphs projects, their algorithm projects the White Sox with a 4.5% chance of winning the division and being a playoff team. I won't tell you how horrific their chances to win a World Series is, but uh, it's, at least it's not 0.0, uh, Blutarski. <laughs> okay. Uh, not 0.0. Now, we were talking during the break, okay, six and a half back. How many times can you, you know, how many games do you have left with the Twins if you were to sweep them in a couple series? Because the Twins are not obviously gangbusters. But that said, Fangraphs has them 80.1% possibility or probability to win the, that's AL Central Baseball. Um, so I guess you take from that that Fangraphs and their numbers crunchers say that they're not playing anywhere near as capable as Rickon believes that, that there are other levels for the White Sox to reach. Mm-hmm. Fangraphs is telling you there are obviously other levels for the Twins to reach, and then once they reach them, they're going to accelerate because Cleveland checks in at a 12.5% chance, mm-hmm. second place to win this division as bad as it may be. So, I mean, according to, to algorithms, and I you know, went, went into sports writing because math was going to be limited, if, if at all, and you would think only you know, four and a half up on Cleveland, six and a half up on the, uh, on the White Sox at this point, and games to be played, and yet, they're, they're, I mean, the, the division is shut down for the Twins. It's 80, 80.1% to, to win this division. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not great. Sorry, I got distracted. I saw Sylvie with his two sons hanging out, so they just walked by. Gave us a wave outside the uh, old National Bank studio. You can't keep Sylvie away from the office, can just, you? He's just always working, bringing yeah. the kids into the office. Um, now, so the Twins, yes, they can play better. I, I was looking to, they've got seven games left. Because remember, the condensed yeah. divisional schedules now, it's uh, it's more uniform across baseball. So that You would be thinking double digits at any other time, first week of June. You'd be thinking, well, we got plenty we could Plenty of opportunity to, to beat up in our division and make you know make some real progress, but not this year. No, and so when you look at the AL Central being a terrible division, unfortunately, the White Sox won't be able to take advantage of it like they have in years past because you've got now a more balanced schedule across baseball. So, yes, seven games, and they're all in the second half of the season. So the White Sox are going to have to play better baseball against other teams, not just the Twins, if they're actually going to be playoff viable here. And I don't know what you do, right? Like, as a Sox fan, it was good to see Cease have another good, uh, have a good outing, but he's been so inconsistent. And that's- did you ever think you were going to sit, watch Dylan Cease with ERA in the mid fours? And that's after having, you know, as he said, a, a better outing, but not nearly as good as he wants it to be, or we expect it to be, because he spoiled us. He he walked so many. He's walking so many hitters, yep. and, you know, and not so much yesterday, but that's been a problem, right? And if you're not striking out players the way you were last season those walks might come back to bite you for me as a Sox fan I'm excited to see Kopech pitch today because now last Monday Memorial Day against the Angels they got to him early in the game Otani did and I do want to talk about Otani too because his uh Jed Hoyer was raving about him being a free agent next year but Kopech on the mound for me as a White Sox fan right now is the the most interesting thing going yep um and it certainly can't count on the hitters because again, they're they're both their well, runs. It, it, they don't take walks either. And you were asking before the show, what does Jake Berger need to do to get into the lineup consistently? Yeah. Because he is somebody who has been productive this season. And my thought was, well, they need to figure out this designated hitter problem that they have, where everybody is everybody on the roster seems to be a good DH, but not necessarily have their own position defensively. That's the and. Jake Berger is he's 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 you know he tries but 
he's not a great defender. He would no. be a great designated. And that's hitter. when you hear him. Oh, the, you know, he, he's possibly at second base. You go, oh, oh, you know. But you you have to find a way to get that bat in the lineup pretty much every day. And, and let's look, be truthful. If Berger has to play second base to get into the lineup, he has to play that, second base. But that will also come back to bite you eventually. I know, I know but I, you know, right now, no, I, I think you're right. But for all the all that he would bring as a hitter, like if he plays consistently at second well, no, base, you can't you can't play it, him every day at second base. I, I, but that's the problem. It's like you're, it's like I know. A, Aloy just had a 13 game hit streak end yesterday. I mean, he's 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 been serviceable. As you said that was your word before the the show in, in right field. It's like, just that's actually alleviated some of the designated hitter issue is that Aloy has right, been playing in right, right field, which we all know, I think we all agree upon, is probably not a great long term plan for him either. No, no, because we know what that eventually looks like if you know it's either bad baseball or injury yes. or both. But it, it just it, it's it's frustrating because when you start looking, you know, a team doesn't take walks now. They they don't ex- they're not expanding their strike zone like they did in April where mm-hmm. they're swinging it. You know, just terrible pitch selection and approach to, to every at bat, but their on base percentage isn't nearly what it needs to be, right? No, so, yeah. so when Rick Hahn talks about you know we're not where you know there are, are we have to make you know more advanced. Well, yeah, no kidding. Tell me how it's going to happen. It, it I, there's not any obvious guy on the uh, on the DL right now. They say once he gets back, you know, we hit the accelerator because again, I said last year. There was no Bryce Harper on the DL. For all the injuries they had, there was no MVP-type guy coming back to, to help get things going in the right direction. Most of their players right now, if you start to look up and down the lineup, it, they're pretty healthy yeah, right now. exactly right. So, and with, you know, Liam Hendricks is now back. He got his first strikeout yesterday. Yep. So, all of a sudden, the bullpen should fall in line as soon as he proves that he's back and capable of closing out games. So, yeah, they can't even blame injury at this point. Now they need to start winning some baseball game. Hopefully they can get a sweep today, finish that off with Kopech on the mound, which, like I said, as a Sox fan, is the most exciting thing that I have to look forward to right now every five days when I watch a White Sox game. 312-332-3776. Are the Bears actually considering going somewhere besides Arlington Heights? We'll talk about it in two short minutes here on ESPN 1000.